What is up, everyone, and welcome to episode 415 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune in to Combo's Court. If you would like to receive bonus Combo's Court content, check out the Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that. Today's show is a recording from the B-Ball Breakdown live show with Coach Nick and yours, Truly, we discuss Steve Nash out of Brooklyn, Ime Adoka to be hired by the Nets, and much more. Go subscribe to the Beatball Breakdown YouTube channel. Let's get into it. Hey, sports fans. Coach Nick here, and welcome to the Beatball Breakdown live show coming at you on YouTube. As always, joined by Andrew Combo Salop. Combo. Uh, it's a pretty crazy day. I don't know if you were expecting uh, Steve Nash getting fired on your bingo card, did you? Not this early. I mean, I thought there was a strong possibility at some point, but maybe not this early with this yeah. little, well, little bit of amount of games. They didn't start out great. I watched actually part of the game yesterday. Just figured I flipped it on. And they, they had control. The Pacers kind of kept coming back uh, and making it really interesting. Um, they lost the Pacers just before that, the game before. So in my mind, it was like, okay, then the ultimatum is you better not lose to the Pacers again. And they didn't. And yet still uh, they fired Nash. So obviously there's a lot to unpack what was going on in and around the mm -hmm. team. We could go back as far as the summer when basically word broke that KD, I think, demanded that Sean Marks and Steve Nash uh, be fired. You remember that? I do remember that. My thinking is, is that this decision was made before the start of this past game. So that's what ah, I think. Well, that's a good point. But we know what we have to do first is, as always, if you want your question answered and us giving you a huge shout out, then Super Chat is the way to go over on YouTube. And we already have a couple to go through. So thank you guys so much already for starting it off for us uh, so early. We have NSARX007 uh, out there. And he asks, uh, the, or, the, mm -hmm. or sorry, they ask, the NBA um, – us by far the best soap opera of the season laugh, laugh my ass off it's my 31st today and so much is happening well hey happy birthday happy birthday are you even 31 who me yeah are you more than 31 what are you i'm a lot more than 31 coach nick all right listen you could be anywhere <laughs> between like 24 and 40 and i'll have no idea how old you are i'm sorry I just like how it is. yeah nah, 31 i was still playing at 31 like playing playing Okay. All right. Good. I mean, listen, what are you, 34? What are you, 35? Like, you can't be not more than 40, are you? I'm not more than 40. I'm not more than 40, but let's keep it mysterious, Coach Nick. All right. let's keep I, it I just had a birthday and we're not counting, and I don't even want to get into it. So I hear you. But anyway, uh, great point by N. Starks, which is, uh, and is that Ned Starks? Are we doing a little Game of Thrones reference here, perhaps? Um, definitely the best soap opera. I mean, because we're also missing, we haven't even begun to bring the whole Kyrie thing up, which is directly related to all of this. Uh, what are the other soap opera things that I'm forgetting right now that uh, occurred in the NBA so far? I guess the Celtics. Um, oh, yeah, which yeah. is another part of our conversation. We yeah. have, to have the Lakers, um, definitely. Um, I mean, the Lakers aren't as controversial. It's more of a basketball thing with them. But it's uh, a soap opera for sure. Yeah, it's, still, it's still a soap opera. Yeah, yeah it's Ru Russ's soap opera. I'm cleaning up my glasses real quick. You ever see this? This is kind of a cool thing I got on Amazon where it cleans your glasses for you. Wow. Anyhow, I, they're not a sponsor, so we're not going to give them too much uh, of a shout out. But you know what? Maybe we should get them as a sponsor. Hey, sponsored by, I don't even know what this is, uh, Peeps. Anyway, if you're out there, 
hit me up. Okay. So uh, anyway, it's a great, by the way, it's great. I love it. There seems to be a lot more interest early in the year now than there had been in a lot of other previous years to begin because you got like usually the World Series going on. You got the NFL. I, I, it sounds like the World Series is interesting. Maybe they, they postponed the game. I don't know why. I saw something like that. Did you, did you see that? I did not. I'm in a basketball world, Coach. Now, I know? mean, I'm, I am even more in a basketball world. But so, I saw some tweet about something. Maybe someone else in the comments. I think, like, all I know is that Philly sports is doing really good besides the Sixers right now. So Yeah, and then some about the Dodgers won a lot of games, and then they, they lost in the first round mm. or something in the playoffs. But oh, okay. we have another Super Chat to get to from best friend of the breakdown, Mike Quaglia. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Mike. You're always there for us, and I really appreciate you being part of the conversation. So let's get to your question, which is, can the Nets hire Udoka while he is still under contract with the Celtics without compensation to the Celtics? The Celtics agreed to let him go. That They were so upset with him. But I think they easily could have said, yes, we need compensation in terms of either cash or draft picks. It's happened before. But they decided to say, we're going to wash our hands and get him out of here as quickly as we possibly can. So that's what happened there um, versus you know the choice where they could have um, – they could have demanded that. And I think it tells you how they felt about Ime, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, I think they wanted nothing to do with him, even though they are still attached to him in some sort of way. But it's interesting that the Nets would even consider going in this direction with the controversy surrounding Ime. Obviously, he's a really good basketball coach. And the Nets have been isocentric, kind of like the Celtics were early last season. And he got them moving the ball. So maybe he could get the Nets to do that as well. And, there's, I mean, the Nets have a whole – bunch of other issues on defense but just the controversy part of it they have so much controversy surrounding him now to add more in is an interesting move right yeah now here's the thing remember he was an assistant there for a year before the before the celtics um mm -hmm. but you can't convince me that they didn't already reach out to him before they fired nash the oh, timing yeah. of this especially coming from outside of the um uh, of the um the, the the nets to hire him in it doesn't make sense to me. Like they, they had to have like reached out and seen that they can get their ducks in a row a little ahead of time, which then I guess somehow implicates the Celtics because maybe they would have already known and said, yeah, we'll let you have them too without, without demanding compensation. So this all is weird. And it seems like Daryl Morey was just fined for tampering with uh, Daniel house and um, PJ Tucker. So I, I, I wonder if that's going to happen here and they're going to question that we, you know, we, you almost never see, uh, a head coach hired in the middle of the season from outside the organization. We saw Finch do this in, um, in Minnesota, whatever that was, a year and a half ago when he got uh, hired. And that, but that that caused ripples. That was very strange because he was with another team, and that made them think that like they were, you know, trying to negotiate with him while the head coach was still in, you know, had his role, which the Nets have been involved with too. Remember when uh, Jason Kidd jumped from the Nets to Milwaukee? Uh, I think they kind of hired him before they officially fired um, uh, Larry, Larry, shoot, Larry, someone help me. God darn it. Uh, his, his son played at Carolina and he's a junior. Larry Hughes. No, Larry Hughes, not Larry. Larry, God darn it all. Am I hit my, this is my brain. Um, anyway, someone will tell me who it is in the comments. Larry, who is it? Gosh darn it all. Anyway, that's what happened when kid jumped to the Milwaukee. So it's a lot of talking. Larry, not Larry Brown. Uh, maybe it's not Larry then. <laughs> Larry, Larry Drew. Thank you. Larry Drew. Sorry, screams there for me. Larry Drew. We'll just do this. Larry Drew, thank you so much. Um, and it was thank oh, not Larry Sanders, although Larry Sanders was in Milwaukee, not the coach. 
Anyway, um, okay. So what are your thoughts on that? Is it possible that they, that they did this on the up and up and weren't, weren't uh, communicating with EMA before this? I think there's a big chance they were communicating with EMA. From my understanding of talking to people around the league that the NBA doesn't really go out of his way to look for tampering. You have to do something kind of dumb and stupid to get to get a punishment for that. And um, you called Daryl Morey dumb. I hope you didn't call Daryl Morey dumb. And <laughs> yeah, no, nah, he's really smart. I mean, I like listening to him talk. So um, like, I, don't, way, I think that's your point is he knew what the risks were and he, he was willing to do it. What's the big deal? He lose a couple of seconds. Yeah, I mean, look, he wanted the Rockets 2.0. So he went out of his way to get that done. Right. Um, and they lose two second round picks. Big, I mean, he's, he's probably saying big deal. No, I'm not saying that he's stupid. I actually really like listening to him on podcasts and stuff to that degree. But and his idea about basketball, I love the original Rockets. But you know, yeah, they don't go out their way to try and find tampering. It usually finds them, and they have no choice but to punish the team. So I do think in this situation, they knew Nash was going to be gone for a while now. They probably thought about Ime, and I would guess that they were in some kind of communication with him. But obviously, that can't be proven. Uh, that's true. Now, let's get into some of the nuts and bolts of what happened, why the season had turned out so poorly for them so far. Um, seven games in, two and five. And might wait, now let me make sure that's what that is. That's the, that the record? Because uh, I was dragging so many stats out. I want to make sure I hit that one right. Um, the Nets are uh, two and five. So they, they only won two, and they, you know, it, it looked a little shaky to get that second win yesterday against the Pacers. So here's some numbers I, I pulled out here. Some of the basic ones. Obviously, they're ranked 29th in defensive rating, which is uh, a real problem. And they kind of thought that was going to be a problem anyway. But what's even more concerning in my mind is their offensive rating is only 16th. Did you know that they currently have two 30-point scores in their lineup? I did. Yes. Kyrie Irving is averaging 30.1. Kevin Durant is averaging 32.6. The, the numbers have been inflated this season for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, well, you know, I would normally you'd say like pace. We can look at the pace compared to last year because there's uh, a lot. Of, there's like how many people averaging over 30 right now? I think it's a lot more than this point of last season, right? Yeah, and it's still so early. It'll shake out. I'm sure it'll yeah. calm down. But um, the the way this was going, this might not have. They, they might have continually to score 30 points each each game. The bigger problem then is the next, the third highest score is Nick Claxton at 12.1, who actually got better this season. He's made some improvements yeah. in certain areas. He got he got stronger. He's making better reads. Eh, okay, a little bit. I, you know, I went through a lot of like that, the game they lost against the Pacers and sort of saw some stuff that was okay, some stuff that's not like, to me, meaning like he's, you know, I like him. And in certain roles where he's just rim running and, and he's just, you know, dunker spot, like great. He's really great at that. I wouldn't ask him to do too much more than that either way, and they shouldn't. Uh, especially when you have a guy like you know uh, Ben Simmons in the team who could be doing a lot of that stuff anyway. So that's but that's all the easy stuff. But I, I dug a little farther. I did a little bit more homework as I'm I'm getting the video ready to go for hopefully tomorrow. Um, three point defense, the fourth worst opponent three point percentage. So they're giving up a lot, a really high percentage to the opponents in three point shooting. Luckily for them, they're only twentieth in frequency. So they're not giving up a ton of threes, but when they are giving them up, they're making a lot of them, and that's a big problem. And how much is, how much could that have to do with the small sample size? Because that could shake out as well, right? It could, it could. But you know, if you're looking at a team that's already struggling so badly on defense, and I'm and I'm seeing it, I can see why. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that that is a thing. And that was the first thing I looked towards as I'm watching the actual games and looking at their defensive mistakes. I'm like, I got to check because I'm seeing a lot of open threes. 
And uh, you know what I need to check is the open threes. It's another one of those. So in my mind, this, this isn't necessarily a small sample. This is just an, a disorganized team. Okay. Um, they're the third most fouling team in the league. So they're fouling a lot. Ben has a lot to do with that. And then they're the fourth worst at giving up offensive rebounds. But they actually weren't getting killed on putback points and second-chance points uh, from what I saw over in Synergy. So that wasn't terrible, but it certainly is all indicative of a completely disorganized defense. When you watch practice of NBA teams or the really good defensive teams, you see the kind of uh, what you would imagine like a college team in terms of the way they focus on it, the way they communicate. That is all there on display. Uh, there's no way uh, to defend what they're doing on defense other than they're not working on it in practice. I can't explain it any other way. Have, have you noticed these uh, issues as well? I have. I think Steve Nash is one of those coaches that's very laid back, and it does work in certain situations with the right personnel, but it obviously hasn't been working here. Like, I think there's the Larry Brown type coaches, there's the Steve Nash coaches, and there's people that fall somewhere in between. When it mm -hmm. comes to how hands-on they are as coaches, and with this Nets team, I think they do need more structure. Yeah. Now, offensively, really quickly, you know, Mike D'Antoni is not on the bench this year, and that could very well, you know, have a really huge effect. Now, they did get Kokoskov for uh, instead as a replacement. And in theory, there shouldn't have been much difference because that guy is also a genius offensively. Um, but they were not buying in. They were not really running offense. I saw some horns, which I liked, and I can put that in there. But, you know, you'll see the typical either Kyrie or K, uh, KD shooting a long three off of an ISO. The ball never gets below the, the three-point line. And uh, if they're not hitting a, a whole uh, high percentage of those, then the offense really does not look good at all. But let's get back to the defense for, for another minute. Um, the big issue I see is switching. They – literally cannot get on the same page with switches. They continually screw those up well, every other possession. And even if they don't get scored on, it's like they're giving up open shots because like, especially in the pick and roll stuff, are they hedging? Are they blasting it? Are they switching? Are they just trying to fight over? It's, it's completely disorganized. Um, and you know, you can't, obviously, if you're going to have to guard against the pick and roll a lot and teams are seeing this after a couple of games, you're going to get, you know, pummeled into submission and, you know, guys like KD aren't going to be able to save you with their defensive prowess because they're not, he's not going to go at it full, full strength for, you know, in, in the beginning of the season doing, you know, now they don't have the personnel to switch. I mean, it's hard to switch with Claxton. It's hard to switch with Kyrie, the Ben Simmons that we're seeing up until this point with the Nets. He's not a switchable defender. So they just don't have the right personnel to switch, and they're going to have to find a different scheme, I think. Uh, I agree. Um, well, I, I mean, listen, if you are going to switch, then switch. But that's the problem. Two guys going to one, so the other guy wide open. Like, that's the other issue. So in my mind, I, I wouldn't even almost mind them switching if they could just do it right. But that's the issue. There's no communication uh, and, and the, oh, by the way, excuse me, there is communication yelling at each other after the team scored because they screwed up a switch. But instead of all the talk they need, need to be doing beforehand. So, you know, and by the way, D'Antoni was part of that in Houston where it was like automatic switching for everything. And I wonder if perhaps they had that and then they went away from that when he left. And so now it's just, you know, we don't know. Now, here's a pop quiz for you, Combo. Mm -hmm. If you're going to call out switches, who's job is it in, in terms when you have a screen being set let's just call off ball screen whose job is it to call the screen backline defender no he has to anchor the defense yeah but but, but he should but, be talking the whole time 
Read my mind. I'm not going to make my mind. Here's, here's the answer. Are you ready? <laughs> if I'm the guy getting screened, I'm the guy that calls switch because I know if I can or cannot get around. Well, sometimes it's blindsided, right? Um, yeah, sometimes back screen, sometimes, okay, a little bit. But a lot of times it's like what, when you really see it screwed up is the guy tries to get around the screen. The guy guarding the screener switches anyway. Which you know, it's that's why it's not his job. The only the only person who should be allowed to call switch is the guy who's guarding the ball um, or the cutter because it, he knows if he can get it on the screen or not. Don't you oh. think sometimes it's too late if he's the one calling it out? Like no. I, I think the guy whose man is actually setting the screen probably sees it earlier. No. Um. Yeah, but I mean, again, it's a little bit different. And the times have changed, right? Because it used to okay. be they they just demand you get around the screen as and you try as hard as you possibly can to get around that screen. I know you probably were coached that way, and that's how yeah. that's how we used to do it. And I think we can go back to that. I don't see why. I mean, I, which is still a valuable skill in the NBA. Yeah, and I, I kind of feel like everyone went away from it because it's just it's too hard. So they don't want to do that load, load management. Yeah, and that's really sad because, you know, all right, defense is hard. Let it be a little hard. So anyway, but that's the whole key is to avoid where the two guys go to the cutter and then the roll man is wide open. The only way I've ever been able to figure that out in a rational way is the guy getting screened is in charge of that. And if he gets through it, then there's obviously no switch. And if he knows he can't, you call switch. It should be enough to be able to get there. Um, you know, I know guys can, can catch and shoot really fast now. But I would like to at least see that before we go anywhere. That's that. So anyway, but either way, they're not doing it. They're just not talking, and nobody knows when or how to switch. And and, that, and that's a coaching thing. So if you were grading coaches, you would say that Steve Nash is doing a lousy job uh, on both ends because how is it possible that you have, first of all, the defensive thing, and that's a known quantity, but how do you have a de- an offense that has two 30-point scorers ranked 16th in offensive rating? Yeah. It's incredible also because he came from such a great offense, right? Um, him and D'Antoni were part of the reason why he was able to win two MVPs back-to-back. And to see him have a team that's struggling so much on the offensive side of the ball when you have firepower like Kyrie and KD, it's pretty uh, dumbfounding. Yeah. Now, I remain unimpressed. Thank you so much for the Super Chat. Sorry, I, I almost missed that mm-hmm. one. But his comment or their comment is best decision Nets have made undeserving coach. So, I, you know, he's kind of com- or they're commenting on sort of what we're saying as far as it, it never felt like Nash really had control of this team ever. Right. Like he kind of got in there. KD gets there. Kyrie gets there. Oh, I'm sorry. They were already there. So he's trying to come in there and they were already kind of ruling the roost, it sounded like, and making decisions. So. Um, did you ever? I, I never got the feeling. I felt like Nash was just trying to keep the uh, the waters calm and just sort of usher people around a little bit without ever having like strict control. Does that feel accurate? Yeah, I mean, it's good to be a player's coach, but too much of a good thing turns into a bad thing at times, right? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And, and obviously, with certain players and certain teams, you can be that way and they don't take advantage of it. So that's the real question. Is, well, this also goes back. Like, there's two things that happened. First of all, Katie had the ultimatum that you had either got to fire Nash or I'm playing. But even before that, Kyrie was saying, we don't even really have a coach. Yes. Like, so. And he said, well, you know, um, Jacques Vaughn could be a coach one day. Or maybe KD said that, uh, which is weird because Jacques Vaughn is one of the uh, assistants. And I and I, even, I swear I saw a tweet when it all went down that he was going to coach, right? Yeah, and yeah. Then all yeah. of a sudden, and then email comes sweeping in there. It's it's all well, very strange. Yeah, I think the report was that Jock is coaching tonight, but eBay is the next coach, right? Mm. Yeah, probably. You know, 
Yeah. And, uh, and and Jacques Vaughn's already been a head coach. I mean, so we know he can he could do that too. He's got the ability to do that. So, so in either way, but the bottom line with, with Steve Nash, it, it just feels like he he might just end up being happy he's out of that situation. It, it sounded like a terrible situation. It wasn't going to get fixed with him being there. Um, now I don't know if they're going to be able to turn this around. But we have another super chat I want to get to real quick before I that we get too long in the tooth here from from uh, uh, Scrooler. Thank you so much. It says he says uh, they say fair to fire Nash without seeing team with Curry and Harris. Nash's fault. Why does Ben look so bad as the Dre small ball five on offense? Andy, he was nearly defensive player of the year in Philly. Okay, ah. So first of all, Curry did play. I saw him out there against um, the the Pacers. He was out there for uh, a couple of those games. Let me make sure I got that right. So Curry played in one game, eighteen minutes. So yeah, you're right. Is it? It's probably not fair. Right. To at least get Harris out there. Um, you know, Harris has played in five games, though. So he was playing um, and he was shooting, you know, 37 percent from three. And not probably not even high enough value, but only playing 23 minutes as they're probably bringing it back. Um, what are your thoughts about Curry and Harris and how that fits? Yeah, I mean, he definitely was dealt a bad hand in some regards, even though, as we talked about, he wasn't doing the greatest of jobs. Um, and when it comes to the Ben situation i mean he is coming off back surgery and he's definitely not himself yet will he ever get back to it we will see yeah great point about that but the other thing is i've done a video a while back showing how ben's best position is a center position now i know mm-hmm. defensively we've seen evidence where when he's got to guard some guy big big guy down low he doesn't do that well but they can overcome that with the speed and the spacing that he that they can provide around him at the five um, and get the game going up and down. So, you know, he'll get scored on a couple times, but I have a, I, but then you'd see them go on a run where they can't, you know, they can't be stopped. That that played out to this year, too, in, in a small sample size. So let's go over the lineups because I thought this was interesting. The most played lineups um, that the most played lineup they had was Durant, Irving, Royce O'Neal, Ben Simmons, and Nick Claxton. Obviously, Claxton playing the five and not a stretch guy at all. Um, that net rating in six games, 67 minutes, which is not that small of a sample size anymore. Negative 14.2. They couldn't score, and they were getting lit up. Now, the next most played lineup was uh, that you get Simmons out of there and you put Joe Harris in there. Okay, that was a much better lineup, plus 31.8, okay, in 24 minutes across three games. So that was indicative of, okay, Harris is now getting some run in there, and maybe Simmons isn't the guy. You can find some better – you can milk some better lineups out of that. But when you have the the third most played lineup is Durant, Irving, Harris, Royce O'Neal, and Ben Simmons, meaning – that Ben Simmons is basically the center, you know. I mean, KD can kind of be that way, but I know that Simmons is guarding the center a lot of those. That was plus 11.7. Only three games, only 16 minutes, but that was the kind of thing you'd want to really try and go to more and see if that kind of um, lineup could do something. Now, you could also even go crazy and go Durant, Simmons, okay, like in the front court, and then go like Irving, Harris, and Curry. You really stretch that out and see how that goes. Um, those are the things they could have started to play around with and they haven't hadn't had a chance to get to yet. Uh, so is it fair, right? Only seven games, maybe they would have figured out some better lineups after 10, but obviously, uh, they were, they were lagging here. You know, so often we talk about analytics at the three point shot, but a big part of analytics is getting a very easy wide open layup. Those are highly efficient. And when Ben Simmons has his own lane, I know he's a pass first player. He hasn't been attacking the rim and getting an easy layup. So that's a big difference when comparing it to Dre. Because obviously Dre is a pass first player as well. But he'll go in for the layup when he has the lane. And Ben Simmons needs to look at the basket. I think we talked about this with Bam before, that he doesn't look at the basket enough. 
It's been like that with Ben Simmons, but a hundred times that. So yeah, Ben needs to start looking at the rim and hopefully he gets his confidence back. And there's no question that as the game goes on, it, he looks less and less at it because it gets into crunch time and, and the, he does not want to shoot free throws. Do you know what his free throw percentage is this year? It's under 50 from what I understand. Yeah, 467, 46.7, which is awful. And in the video I'll show, I mean, we all understand why, but he doesn't straighten his – his legs are straight when he shoots. He doesn't use his knees at all, and it's a completely flat. It needs to be more than perfect to go in, um, and, and it's, it just hurts to watch. And so he doesn't want to shoot free throws. There was a fourth-quarter break they had against Indiana. Then again, they lost where uh, Durant throws it up to him. And this is where he should just be going – collapsing the defense getting in the middle and said he starts to just wander around and looks for anybody i think he throws it to harris you know 40 feet from the basket and then now harris has to be a dribble drive artist it's it was it's very strange to see how he gets disconnected from the offense and does not want to attack obviously for fear of that there's also an awkwardness to his game that um could you know it helps him to some degree because you're not used to guarding that kind of person but also could contribute to his feeling awkward and then not wanting to be aggressive. Um, at least I, I did notice he wasn't hanging around the dunker spot as much as he was doing in Philly. Uh, they were having him set screens. They were having him post up. So they, they were, they're trying, they were really trying to, to keep him involved in the half court, but um, you know, it, it clearly wasn't working that well because of the, the numbers are varying that out. Yeah, I agree. It hasn't been a good season for him thus far. It is very early. He is coming off back surgery and, you know, I've always been a defender of Ben Simmons, but as of right now, it's not he's not playing the game the right way, to be honest. You gotta be more aggressive. You gotta be better on defense. He's been fouling out. Uh positionally, he hasn't been great. On the ball, he hasn't been great. I mean, Luca was targeting him at one point. Like, who would have thought like Ben is the guy that you target? I think some of that might be psychological because Luca does target team's best defenders at point, but Ben hasn't been their best defender and he needs to get back to it. Yeah, and and there's no question, and in the rust has a lot to do with it on both ends of the floor. Yeah, and I'm sure you get better, but like, yeah, there's lots of uh, evidence of him losing his man on the weak side, the guy cutting into the basket in front mm-hmm. of him, stuff like that, which is just like you know you can't you can't let that happen. You need to be the an anchor, and you need to be able to recover if you got beat on those. He's not doing that at all, um, and you know it's hard with this kind of magnifying glass on you to find your footing. Um, while potentially losing games like they are, like to give him run to get him back to where he needs to be. I mean, look at the Warriors. They're kind of doing that right now where, I don't know, I kind of thought the Warriors were going to go on a huge run to start the season because they seemed way ahead of everybody else offensively. But it turns out uh, that these younger guys, this, you know, need some, a little bit more time. But And I still feel like they're going to figure it out. It might get they might need like 20, 25 games and they'll get there. But, um, you know, the, the, I guess Brooklyn is not on that time frame. They don't they don't have any time to spare here. Um, now, we got to talk about Kyrie a little bit, don't we? Yeah. You know, defensively, Kyrie is, is uh, a real problem for them. They, he he doesn't keep people in front. Uh, he gambles a lot and uh, he puts them out of position so that they're scrambling to try and cover for him. Uh, that doesn't engender good good teammate feelings, right? Have you ever you ever played with a teammate that likes to gamble on defense all the time and, get, and ends up screwing you guys? Well, I wasn't the greatest defender myself, Coach Nick, but yes, it is annoying. Defense, defense. I was the best defender on my team's uh, combo. I'll tell you that right now. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear. Maybe we would have been a good combination like we are on the live shows. That's right. Court. Exactly right. We're going to be a good backcourt. Um, did you, wait, I, I forgot. You can you, Could you shoot it? 
Yeah, I could shoot it. I did. I was like a positionless playmaker, like of the Luca mold. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, I saw. I, I saw you on Twitter uh, with your weekending shots or whatever. How'd so I look? I saw the the one footed runner in there. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, you know, and maybe even a hop three, perhaps. I don't know if you hop. I think maybe you hop into or something. Maybe. Yeah. No, I was working out this Sunday, getting some shots up. It's always fun. It's always fun. Yeah, I wish I. You know, I might have to start doing it myself. So. Uh, Anyway, because I was the best defender. I was a 3 and D. I was, that was what I was. I was 3 and D. Nice. That's good. That's very important. We need those around players like me. <laughs> right. Um, so we have Kyrie, who's, who's just not playing defense, and, and, and led to – because, again, you'd see so much effort to try and recover to help him after he got way out of position on his man. And, that you know, they, they didn't have enough of that to, to be able to, to counter that. And as a result, they're, yeah, they're almost last in, in defensive rating. Um, but you know, uh, did you see there was interesting, you know, he, he, he shared a link, um, to a, a, a documentary that, uh, you know, deals in a lot of anti-Semitic tropes. Um, and I, am certainly no, um, you know, uh, I'm certainly, I'm certainly, uh, familiar with a lot of that, uh, on the other side of when I do my political podcast and we discuss a lot of that stuff over there. And so, um, did you happen to see the Nick Friedel, um, interaction when he asked him about it the other game? I did. Um, so if you didn't see it, oh, I almost wish we could share it, but maybe, maybe I'll look for it real quick. Um, you know, it, it, it's actually a good lesson in, in journalism. Uh, Nick, I like, I like Nick. We're friendly. Um, I don't think he did a great job of asking the question. I think they, he kind of got muddled in there and then Kyrie tried to take over the, the, the narrative on it. But the bottom line is, you know, if you're going to tweet it out on a platform like Kyrie does, then you are basically endorsing what you're tweeting out, even though he didn't put any text to that. Um, did you see there was a picture though the next game, right? Of a couple people saying stop anti-Semitism. And there, did you see that? And he's standing in yeah. front of them. Yeah, it was, um, it was more than a couple people. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, I saw yeah. like three or four. It looked, so, it looked, I don't know, I didn't count, but it looked like six or seven of them. Okay, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, this is a big problem. Uh, you know, if you're going to be associated with that, we saw this was, this was a big problem for Mark Jackson coaching in San Francisco. Um, based on his, you know, religious views on, you know, on, you know, the gay lifestyle or people, people who are gay, uh, that isn't going to work well in where he's coaching in San Francisco. Um, you know, if you're in Brooklyn and you're going to post anti-Semitic stuff, that is not going to work well at all either. Uh, and that could very well be part of a, 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 the next step here where do you think that Kyrie is going to get traded? Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's with the Nets for too much longer. Um, you know, I think that, the Nets are probably thinking how they're going to handle this situation. I don't think it's just going to, I don't think they're just going to let the situation disappear because it won't disappear. As you said, for multiple reasons, I mean, they are in Brooklyn and it's a highly densely Jewish population there. And it's actually very diverse. There's all kinds of people that live in Brooklyn. So um, it wasn't good. I mean, I didn't watch the documentary. I don't even know if Kyrie watched the documentary, but he did tweet it and it's a big problem. Yeah. And, and and then and then the, his response wasn't great either, where he tried to pretend that he wasn't endorsing it. Um, I mean, it, almost to the point where I wonder if, if he even watched what it was, if he even really knew what he was doing. I, I suspect he did, but um, you know, and with it, it, it's not in the bubble here. Kyrie has done this and has been strange to put it mildly for a long time, right? And it's a strange teammate as overall, which then makes you wonder. You know, is there value for him? Do, is another team going to want to take all that talent with all the baggage? Yeah, yeah, I mean, on the basketball side of things, it does seem at this point, even though 
He's obviously a tremendously talented basketball. It's not equating to wins right now. So are you going to take all that baggage with the player that teams might think? And obviously, defense is a team thing. You could probably build around Kyrie better when it comes to defense. But are teams going to take that kind of baggage, especially with a player that his play hasn't been equaling to wins lately? Right. So yeah, he's, he's obviously box office, but... You have to be almost the best player in the league to for teams to like really take that much baggage, especially with the way the league is going, because it's not about the one player anymore. It's about how teams have continuity and build their organization with culture and chemistry and through the draft. And obviously that's the way that teams are winning these days. It's not around uh name chasing and taking a superstar. We're seeing that with the Lakers. We're seeing that with the Nets. Right. And, th and that's a good point I want to make about uh oh, and before I forget, by the way, we're gonna go live, you and I, and watch yeah. the Nets Bulls. In about 20 minutes, over on uh, you know what I'm gonna drop the link. It's uh, it's over on um on um, get uh on uh, playback I, playback playback. Thank you. I was like watch party watch party playback. Uh, let me grab the link. I I think I tweeted that or I put it on the the community tab uh, over on YouTube. But let me grab that real quick wherever that is. But don't you want to miss that? We're gonna go uh and do that soon. Let me copy. Where is the darn um. Oh my goodness gracious. Here it is. Copy link. I'm going to put it right now into the chat. I think you can. The only question is, is this a hyperlink? It might not be. Darn. I'll, I'll, I'll tweet it out. Uh, it's over on the, um, it's a link in the community tab. So you can join us over there where we can watch the game. And literally you log in with your league pass, you log in with your TV provider and we all have the game behind us. So we can all watch the game together and comment on it. And then you can come on the show and talk. It's really fun. We were doing it last year. Uh, so definitely you have to try that out as well. Um, and then also we'll be talking more about the Nets because we'll see if anything's changed uh, over uh, within a few hours of uh, Jacques Vaughn uh, manning the helm. Um, but uh, to get back to your point about uh, Kyrie, um, yes, he hasn't it hasn't contributed to a winning environment, especially because if you look at like Ime Udoka, for instance, he comes in, uh, it's not going well for the first 35, 40 games. Imagine if they fired him after seven games. They could have. You know, the Celtics were not playing well at all in the beginning of last year at all. Well, has that has that ever happened in the NBA? Because Steve Nash has been there for a little bit now. That's like, true, too. Yeah. Um, it was his first seven games. Somebody, like, I want to say, like, Stan Van Gundy. Um, oh, or maybe he got that, it and didn't, that, didn't take your it. Guy, that's your guy, Gundy. too. You worked yeah. Him. Uh, something happened with the um, member. He took it and then he did maybe turned it down or something like that. But anyway, the point being that um, he got through it. He figured something out and it got them to play a different style of basketball offensively where now there was all this driving middle kicking and, and, and extra passing. It was beautiful, right? So this is what the Nets need. So I suppose that's why they're going to bring in Udoka who maybe can, can shorten that timeline. And so instead of having to get through 35, 40 games, he'll get in there right away and be able and know what to tell him, I guess, to get him to do some of that beautiful stuff. Um, that might be what they're thinking. I don't know. And again, he, he was a coach there. So he was part of that ecosystem. It wasn't like a completely foreign entity and all the coaches know everybody else and everybody knows everybody. Um, but, um, you know, we'll have to find out whether or not like, you know, he can get in there because again, this is, this isn't necessarily Tatum and, um, Brown who are, you know, still relatively young and just kind of feeling their oats. This is KD and Kyrie. And if you're going to step up to them and Tell him something. Oh, and and he may could be intimidating. He could try it. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to work. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it's a new NBA. You mentioned like Tatum and Brown and Kyrie and KD. It just feels like the young stars are having a lot more impact on winning 
as of this point. I know it's really early in the season, but it's starting to seem that way, Coach Nick. Well, yeah. Well, well, how about the top of the standings right now? It's insane. It's Portland. It's Utah. It's the Spurs. You know, Danny Ainge must be upset. He was trying to tank this year. Yeah, but here's the thing. Danny has a lot of picks that aren't aren't his, right? Uh, okay. So in theory, I mean, you always want to maximize your opportunities here, but let's not let's not ignore the fact that this Jazz team wasn't a bunch of like rookies and second year players. They still have Mike Conley, uh, Jordan Clarkson, Rudy Gay, um, Colin Sexton, and Laurie are good players too. And Lowry Marketing is terrific coming off of his yeah. play over the summer. So yeah. um, they, they they are good, like they are, and they and they they fit together. It's a lot like Major League. You saw the movie Major League, right? I probably did, but I don't really know. It's a basketball podcast, but in Major League, they were the coach hired uh, a bunch of different uh, ragtag group of players because they they wanted to lose. And then the players said, you know what, we're going to win anyway. And they band together and then, you know, comedy ensues. Um, we got Bron out there, a friend of the breakdown. Bron, thank you so much from Canada. Hey, coach, the Wolves have been a tough watch. I struggled to see both Cat and Rudy Layton gain defensively, and teams are switching everything on offense. Absolutely. I watched uh, Rudy was. Uh, man, I mean, listen, Rudy's probably a great guy, a great teammate. Uh, I don't want to, like, you know, diminish any of that. The, 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 the joking about COVID notwithstanding in the very beginning of that whole thing. But um, I watched a chunk of that game, and the only time they got better or they got back in the game was when Rudy went to the bench. It is not working. Rudy looks terrible. I mean, there were so many. I'll, here's what happened. Are you ready? I was lounging on a couch, kind of like trying to stay awake on a Sunday afternoon. I guess it was Sunday when they were playing. Maybe it was the day. And at the beginning of the second quarter, he was like three or four plays in a row. That I, I think I even filmed him. Like, this is – you got to check this out. I fall asleep combo. Mm. Fell asleep. I wake up at the end of the second quarter, and then he does three or four more plays that are even worse. It was almost like a nightmare that never ended. Um, offensively, he is so challenged. His hands, his skill level, his touch, all those things. He's so challenged that I don't, I don't know if it makes up for it with the defensive side. Yeah, and we always talk about how the NBA has changed so much. I don't think that was as big of an issue when he was entering the league as it is now with all the bigs as skilled as they are. So I think it's more alarming when you have a guy that's so deficient on the offensive side of the basketball. Yeah, uh, I hear you. And and it's just not working. Oh, by the way, out of a timeout, they call a play on a double pin down that like the secondary option is a post up for Rudy, who like promptly commits an offensive foul trying to post up. But like, what, what are you going to do anyway with that? Um, they're, they're trying some things, but I, I don't know at this point in his career why you'd think that anything would change and why you'd be going to him and running offense through him. It's um, it's really head scratching. Um, and, and I don't think it's going to work. And so we, I, and they're screwed because they don't they can't move him. We mentioned D'Antoni and Maury, and I think you got to almost treat Anthony Edwards like in a James Harden situation. Like, you want space with him, especially in the open floor, and I don't know if Rudy provides that in any kind of way. Yeah, and I, I wanted to check that real quick because I feel like he was almost uh, invisible out there when I was watching him. I thought he was injured. I didn't think he was on the court. And he's actually scoring more points per game than he did last year, um, And uh, uh, but he's playing two more minutes a game, so that's gone – in theory, the per 36 has probably gone down. Per 36 attempts was uh, – oh, actually, that's gone up by one attempt as well. Uh, it's pretty much the same across the board, but he just – it just is not as – it's not the same. You know what I mean? He's just, the impact is not there, at least in the game I was studying for the first time watching. And so, yeah, I would not want to get in, get in the way of Anthony Edwards at all. I want him to develop as quickly as he can to uh, an MVP candidate, you know, level, level yeah. player. Yeah, I agree. Well, I tell you what, we're going to – 
back over to um, playback to watch the game together. So I put the link in the in the thing, but definitely check the link. Either if you're over on Twitter, I'll, I'll definitely share it in a minute or uh, check the link in the community tab uh, on my YouTube channel. Uh, but uh, we'd love to have you, you guys can come on the show and talk to us and, and we can chop it up and about anything you want. The game, this, whatever. Um, I think we have... Another a super chat before we go from the shiny hacks another another friend of the breakdown. Thank you so much, shiny random fun fact. Steph is averaging the most rebounds on the entire Golden State Warriors roster. That is not good at all, but also hilarious. Sad. That is hilarious. I did not realize that. Is that really true? Do, do, we, do I have to check that? My let's, just believe, let's just believe him. No, if, you're not. You're not known. To, you're not known to do that, though. You always double check no matter what anybody says. You know, it's worth checking. I mean, well, we appreciate the super chat, though. Yeah, and he's not going to lead us astray. Total rebounds, uh, yes, six point seven uh, yeah, ahead of Looney, six point four, and Wiggins six point three. That is amazing. And you know what, um, I, I, Shiny, I wonder if you're on Twitter because I would love to tweet that and give you an uh, an HT, um, an HT. Uh, but um, I don't know if I if you're on there or not. But either way, that's a great that's a great pull of the stat on early. Most likely not. Uh, uh, keep going that way. We have another super. Okay, what we're, the super chats. We love them. Thank you, and it really helps us keep the show going. And this is how you get on the night. So I thank you, thank you, thank you. But we, I got to go to the bathroom. So I'm on a juice cleanse combo, and I have to go to the bathroom. So I need to go to the bathroom before I get start the show in ten minutes. Uh, but Van Hoot two two three four from Canada, another Canadian. Thoughts on how Raptors Scotty Barnes half court pick and roll reads were in the Atlanta game. Thoughts on positionless ball as a long term strategy. I watched part of this game, believe it or not. Um, let me scan my hard drive. Uh, I can't picture Scotty Barnes though, um, running, running pick and rolls, but man, they they destroyed him, um, by the end. Um, so I don't know. Do you have any feelings for, for Scotty Barnes reads in the half court pick and roll? I do not, but the thoughts on positionless ball as a long-term strategy. I love what the Raptors are doing. They draft long, smart, cerebral players that could do many things and maybe the one thing that they have to work on with some of them is teaching them how to shoot which is a learnable skill so I love what the Raptors do and I love Scotty Barnes game I loved his game at Florida State I thought his game would translate to the NBA really well I was high on him his whole year at Florida State um so yeah kudos to the Raptors I love what they're yeah. doing there who, who am I who who do I say is the better of that of that draft class who's the one guy Who's oh, better? I mean, you, you think James Wiseman is better than Evan Mobley, right? No, but I'm, and isn't Scotty the same as uh, Cade? Yes. So Cade Cunningham, I think, was going to be the better player. And I think both of us are really happy that that's bearing out. Although, I will say that I texted you when I was watching it. Down the stretch of the last game I was watching, um, you know, he just didn't – he couldn't finish uh, some of those plays. And, you know, it's tough and it's early, but um, – uh, that's the the last little piece of the puzzle he's gonna he's gonna have to learn. Yeah, I mean he's tw- he's twenty years old. He'll get that, you know. Yeah, but he's I taking mean, shots. That's what's good. He's just gonna have to start learning how to to knock him some of them down. Yeah, I mean I think like these NBA players are coming in so NBA ready. Our expectations of the bar is set so high for themselves that when they do so great, we expect them to do even more. But. Uh, well, that's he's gonna be okay. Look at Luca comes in as a rookie, uh, Cade comes in, um, Bancaro now. Like, those are the guys who I'm really impressed with. But so, like, when Mobley comes in and his offense is so, so far behind that, I listen, his defense is great, but his, his offense is so far behind it. That's what's frustrating to me in the sense that, like, why? Like, how, where did he miss? You know, listen, everybody develops differently and everyone processes. Yeah. So, that's cool. Yeah, like, I mean, like, that, not every. 
Not everybody's going to be Luca. I mean, I think those guys that you're naming are anomalies in some ways, right? Uh, um, you know what? That list, I think, is could, we could probably find it and add a few more. Um, I mean, and, Ben Ben Matherin has been looked NBA ready oh on the offense. Yeah, I, Coach Dick, I told you about him a while ago. Like it, in in Arizona, right? Yes, you told about me about it. it without question. I know you were talking about him, and yeah, he is a serious player. Um, you know, I, I, by the way, what, what's Arizona, Arizona does some nice things uh, to develop that they probably don't get a lot of credit for. I mean, like I was just thinking about Lonzo Trier the other day. He went. To, did he go to Arizona? Shoot. Yeah, I think. Yeah, he was like a straight bucket getter. But I think I don't know, man. I think it was stuff off the court with him. I don't know exactly what. I don't have the details, but it wasn't his game because that guy could play. Yeah, it's weird, and, I, and nothing ever really got reported. I don't know. I'll have to find that out because I was just thinking about him. But either way, um, yeah, there's a lot of skill out there that needs to be continued to be taught, and, uh, you know, you can't just slide on, oh, I can really play defense. You need to be able to – I mean, that's why it's like the guys like Tony Allen's out there. Like, they never really improved their offense. It really frustrated me. I love the defense, love the heart, love the effort, but um, it's no excuse to get 10 years in the league and you really haven't developed any of your offensive skills. I think some people try and overthink the game and they want to think that defense and intangibles are equal to talent and putting the ball in the basket when sometimes that really is important. You know, you don't have to overthink it. Like the game is about putting the ball in the basket. And I love the part of the game where you're making those around you better. But like you got to be able to put the ball in the basket. It's so important. And I know people love the intangibles. They love the defense. You need it to win championships. But the most important thing in basketball is getting buckets. I think Bill Russell said that, right, in a commercial. It's about buckets. All right, well, I got to go. We'll be back. So don't uh, – if you're going to leave us here, find us over on the on the playback app. We're going to start this in a few minutes. We're going to watch the show together. If you want the link, either go to the community tab or go to Twitter, and I, I'll, I'll tweet it out there in a minute. Uh, but it's already set up there. The There's probably some people in this room already. Yeah, there's some 10 people in there already. So we're going to get over there in a minute. Uh, and don't forget, sports fans, if people all break down, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in combo? We're in Coach Nick. There it is. Another episode of Combo's Court. Punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. And subscribe to the Beatball Breakdown YouTube channel. If you would like to receive bonus Combo's Court content, check out the Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that. Be on the lookout for episode 416. Combo out.